this tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, how are you again? It's Coach Kevin Furtado. Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is episode 127. Today we have Coach Mike Meek. He's the head women's coach at Portland University in Portland, Oregon. Michael Meek was named the sixth women's basketball head coach in program history on March 27, 2019. Meek came to Portland after a highly successful nine-year run at George Fox University And in his first year at the helm of the Pilots, he guided the team to their first West Coast Conference Tournament Championship since 1994. The WCC title, which included a win over number 11 Gonzaga in the semifinals, gave the Pilots their first berth to the NCAA Tournament since 1997. Unfortunately, the NCAA Tournament was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 2019-20 was full of milestones as Meek led the team toward a 21-11 overall record, good for fourth in the WCCC, after the coaches picked the pilots to finish 10th in the league's annual preseason poll. It's the first 20-win for the program since 1996-97, and the 11-7 mark in the WCC gave Portland their most conference wins since that same 96-97 season. With a career collegiate record, of 251 and 46, Meek ranks seventh in career winning percentage among African coaches with five plus years of experience at all divisions of women's college basketball. Prior to Portland, Meek led the George Fox Bruins to remarkable results, including NCAA Division III championship game appearances in 2012 and 2015. He guided George Fox to eight NCAA tournament appearances, including the last six seasons. Six Northwest Conference championships and his teams were ranked at the end of the year seven times. He was named the D3Hoops.com NCAA Division III National Coach of the Year in 2012 and was three times named the NWC Coach of the Year, including in 2019. He coached four players to All-America recognition, while Hannah Munger also earned academic All-America honors in 2012. The Bruins have been a historical Division III power in women's basketball, and Meek was the fastest coach in program history to reach 100 wins. He succeeded current Oregon State head coach Scott Ruick at, at George Fox. Before George Fox, Meek was head coach at Southridge High School in Beaverton, Oregon for 10 seasons. He led Southridge to a record of 213-58 and and five Oregon State titles over a six-year span between 2005 and 2010. Meek guided the Skyhawks to Oregon 4A titles in 2005 and 2006. The top classification at the time. And then to the Oregon 6A championships in 2007, 2008, and 2010. He was named the 2006 MaxPreps.com National Girls Basketball Coach of the Year, four times earned Oregon Athletic Coaches Association Coach of the Year honors. 
2005, 2006, 2007, 2010, and was league coach of the year six seasons. A total of 20 players went on to play college basketball from those rosters. 11 student athletes played at the Division I level, while all five starters on his 2006 squad with schools currently in the Pac-12. Meek began his coaching career at LaGrand, Oregon High School, where he went 51-21 and 21 in three years, 1997-2000 to 2000 as head coach. In addition to his coaching accolades, Meek has published articles in Women's Basketball Magazine, developed five basketball coaching instructional videos, and is a regular presenter at various coaching clinics and summits throughout the region. Meek developed and hosted one of the top national high school basketball tournaments in the nation while at Southridge High School, the Nike Northwest Girls Basketball Invitational from 2006 to 2010. A Pulley-Up Washington native, Meek played basketball at Tacoma Community College and Eastern Oregon University, where he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Physical Education and Health in 1999. He earned his Master of Arts in Teaching from Grand, Can Grand Canyon University in 2004. Meek and his wife, Lisa, reside in Beaverton with their daughters, Bakil and Audrey. Coaches, <clears throat> as you can see, um, Mike has done a tremendous job kind of really moving up the ranks, uh, building programs at every level. Very few coaches have done this. So I'm really going to pick his brain on how he did it at the high school, D3, and now at the Division One with his uh, conference championship this past year on March 10th. So, coaches, let's welcome Coach Mike Meek. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Great. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, sure. I appreciate the invite. I actually did uh, take some time here. Um, I don't know. It's maybe a week ago and listened to Kurt on on your podcast. So it was great to hear him. He always does such a great job that uh, great, great information. Yeah, I, I got. I mean, I have to admit, man, there's some great coaches in Oregon. I mean, um, I, I'm really trying to get a hold of. Um, I think it's Brad Smith that was in Oregon City one time, man. Those are all legends, man, including you. This is legends. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I know Brad Smith is definitely the, you know, just the one that really got everything going in Oregon, and I think he's been a like a great mentor to a lot of different people around the state. So. Yeah, and Mike, before you start telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of talk a little bit about Oregon hoops because I've seen nothing but there's something right going on there in Oregon with girls basketball hoops because there's a lot of really good programs that are really ranking the top in the country. What are, you, what are they doing out in Oregon to produce such good programs? You know, I, I really feel like there there's – like early on, just such great coaches, you know, Brad Smith was obviously the, the one that was kind of the, um, you know, the one that really got everything going. I, I think really in the beginning of even girls basketball really taking off and, um, you know, Mark Neffendorf, who's, who's been a huge mentor to me as well. Like, uh, and I, I think the great thing about both of those two, um, and, and guys like Barry Adams and Nick Robertson and, and different coaches on the, on the men's side or boys' side of high school basketball, like they just were all so willing to share and, and kind of maybe ahead of its time in, in that, you know, they weren't they, – they were always invested in like helping others get better and improve. And, um, you know, you could go to them about anything and they would give you the best advice they could to help, you know, other coaches be successful. And I think that's really – helped um you know and and i think you know the other generations that have you know came behind them and coaching i think is have really tried to take that you know same initiative 
Yeah, and uh, I mean that's that's to me probably the best thing you can probably teach a new you can probably teach a new coach, right, Mike? Is is hey, give back to the game, and it'll you'll receive a lot by doing that. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's you know it's two sided when you're sharing because I I for me I I mean I love to share I love to talk about the game with people I, I love to learn and uh, but you know I I feel like when you're having to invest in other people you're all you're also having to kind of dive within a little deeper and learn more about how you do things and and become a little bit more organized yourself when you're teaching and so I think it 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 not only brings you know, thanks to the people you're working with, but I think it also helps yourself in, a, in ways as well. Yeah, it's so true. So true. I mean, that's great wisdom. Hey, coach, tell me about how you, as a kid, I always like to ask coaches, man, how did you get started in the game and how did that lead to what you are doing now? And you're one of the up and coming great coaches now. Um, how did, how did that shape you as a kid growing up in the game of basketball? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think everybody's story is different. And, um, you know, mine is it just I've, al- I've always been really passionate about the game. And I was definitely like a gym rat growing up. Like uh, I just I lived in the gym and I wanted to work on my game all the time. And I just um, I love, you know, after every high school practice, I mean, not everyone, but, you know, a lot of them, I would go and work, get another workout or go play at the local gym and, you know, and just get runs anytime I could. And, but I also think I, I kind of identified at an early age that, you know, my career probably was only going to go so far. And uh, I, I think you could have asked me as early as like eighth grade, I would tell you, you know, people would say, what do you want to do when you, you know, grow up or get older? And I would tell them, I want to coach, like, that's what I want to do. And uh, I think early on it was, you know, early on, probably it was so much more about the game and the competitiveness. And I think as I've gotten older, it's became so much more about investing in our, in our, you know, the, the players. And uh, it's been so much more about the people and, you know, teaching life skills and things that maybe as a younger coach, I didn't really get what that even meant. Um, And I feel like that that's definitely kind of helped. You know, I, I think my progression as a coach. Yeah, so true. You, you mentioned some couple good things, and that's really investing into others and so forth and really investing into your players. It takes us a while as coaches, right, to learn that. Uh, it's hard when you first start coaching. Uh, so what kind of led you – what was that time when, when you said, hey, you know what, I need to do more than just teach the X's and O's? When did that happen with you? Man, you know, I, I don't – I think again, it's probably the 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 mentors that I've been with, and that my assistant coaches have just been phenomenal through the years. And uh, I don't know necessarily if there was ever a time where um, you know I could I could see like a transformation in that taking place. I, I would say my time at George Fox was just a uh, like a, a definitely a changing coaching experience. And I think part of it is you know, when going from a high school coach to, you know, a, a small college coach, like you just, you have more time to in, invest in, in the game and also like maybe invest in what's the most important thing in coaching. Um, and so I think just, and I think a lot of it too is just the kids that I've had a chance to coach and women, you know, as I've gotten into the college part of it, like just, I think they've taught me so much about, investing in others and uh, how important that is and um you know what how how even for them like how that becomes great leadership for our team you know i've just seen 
like a transformation take place is, is they learn how to invest in each other, you know? And so I, I couldn't pinpoint like an exact time, but I think it's something that's definitely been more meaningful and more important to me as I've done this longer. Yeah. And you've had a great, your resume is unbelievable. Mike. I just want to tell you, I, I've always coached high school on that. And I love coaching at the high school level. That's who I am. But um, you've had great success at Southland um, and really at the D3 level, which is really, to me, that's your best coaches are at the D3 level. And then now at Portland, and you had a great year this past year. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 happened, but man, you guys had a great championship. Um, but tell us how your progression or how you made it at each level, which is, which is, is fabulous. Yeah, I, I, I played, you know, small college, um, and, and just got hooked into, uh, the freshman girls job at the high school and, uh, at LeGrand mm-hmm. high school. And I wasn't, um, you know, I, I, I never really thought about going that route, but, you know, I was, I was in the community and I, um, you know, it was one of those things that just kind of came about and, uh, and I didn't know how long I would stay in coaching girls, but I, you know, I loved it. Like the, the, the players were just so engaging. They, they were so invested in each other as far as just wanting to be good teammates and wanting to be coachable. Um, you know, the next year the JV coach had left and then the next year the varsity coach moved on to a new job. So like I kind of moved quickly through and became a, a varsity coach pretty young and, um, and then moved to, to Southridge high school, which I was there for, for 10 years. And, you know, kind of like you, I mean, I loved high school. I mean, I loved every part of it and, um, you know, very invested in our youth program and development of players. And, um, but I also tell you that being a high school coach, it's like, you know, you're teaching, you're coaching, you're running the youth program. You're sure. time. We were, we are, our high school team actually traveled as a club team during the summer. So it just, I mean, it was a year round grind. And so when the George Fox job came open, it was just, um, you know, something that they had reached out. It wasn't something that I was seeking or looking for. And uh, I, I have two daughters myself. And so it was pretty important to my wife and I that we weren't moving around the country. So w- with the George Fox job and the Portland job, I mean, they both were, uh, um, you know, they we've lived in the same house now for 20 years. Like it wasn't like we've been, we really wanted to keep our, our you know, our own children grounded. And uh, obviously this year at Portland, I mean, I, I, I just feel so fortunate you know, through all the years. And, and a, a lot of it is just having such great assistant coaches and having such great mentors that really have helped, I, I feel like, grow, help, you know, grow me as a coach. And, but, you know, this year at Portland, I and mean, we were picked to take 10th. We are picked to take last in, uh, in our league and had graduated 60% of the scoring from the year before. And it, it was probably one of the most just, um, it, it was such a great run. It was such a, a, a great group of players to be around and uh, how they, they just already were so invested in each other. They were so coachable. They, they bought in and, and were awesome about, you know, really trying to do the best they could of what we were asking and things that don't necessarily happen as quick as they did, as far as the investment and the, the belief and, um, and so obviously we, you know, got to the tournament and, you know, playing Pacific and Gonzaga and San Diego, the only three teams actually we hadn't beaten league. So we had a, a great run in the tournament too, to, to win the West coast conference tournament. And it was, it was pretty remarkable and a, and a great story for sure. Yeah. It's an awesome story. And unfortunately, I, I guess on the, on the positive side, right, Mike, you finished your year with 
a championship. Very few teams had to do that. They had to end it on a loss and so forth. So, hey, how, give me – how do you think you would guys do in the NCAA tournament? I know, of course, out there you got Oregon. You got all those great schools out there. How do you all think you would match up in the, in the tournament? You know, you know, like you said, match up. I mean, you just you, you really never know how, you know, the a lot of it is matchups and a lot of it is how you match up against the team that you're put up against. So I really don't have obviously any clue of what that would have looked like. Um, I do know that, you know, we we were playing our best basketball at the end. And I know that our kids were gaining more and more confidence as the season went on and uh, you know, we, because, you know, we lost some games earlier and, uh, you know, we, we ended up 21, 11, so good record, but we weren't going to be a, you know, a super high seed by any means. So, but I do think we're probably a team that not a lot of other teams probably would want to have seen. Right. Um, just, especially we, we are the run that we had at the end of the season and, and, you know, having success in a, a really competitive league and, uh, a league that tends to do well in the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to predict. And, and, and I think for us, like, I think our kids and our coaches have had things in such great perspective because we, uh, we are so grateful to have been able to play our tournament, be able to have the run that we had. Um, and, and, and this that's going on is so much bigger than basketball that right. I almost feel like it would be selfish of us to, you know, complain too much about the way things ended. Um, so for us, we just have a lot of gratitude and, and, you know, just, it was such a, it was such a fun group, such a, a great group to be around. And if anything else, like I just, I feel bad for our players, you know, one that they didn't get a chance to experience the tournament, but, but that we didn't give them like a great closure to the season. Like it was kind of like we won the tournament and then within a couple of days, I mean, people are getting homes, you know, right. they could. So that 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 part of it has probably been the hardest thing is just not having really having such a strained closure to the season. Yeah, and it sounds like to me that team, this team this past year, kind of it's really building a strong foundation at your in your program. Talk to me, Mike, about and you can even go back to how you build your high school programs because most of my coaches are listening are high school coaches like me. Yeah. Talk about culture. I always feel culture trump strategy. You have to have a strong culture first. Tell us how you grow a strong co- uh, culture. Oh, you know, I think I think culture is such a tricky thing, right? Because I, I think that that entails just so many different things. And and you could, I, I feel like you can be strong in, you know, parts of your culture and then have other parts that may fail, you know, and um, or may not, right? Like, so. Uh, you know, for us, I, I do think we, we, we spend a ton of time on just, you know, talking about what it is to be a great teammate. Um, you know, I, I have a couple simple team rules. I'm not a, I'm not like, you know, obviously we have the, the rules that we have to follow within our school and NCAA and all those. But, you know, one of my main things has always been that, you know, I, I want you to come with me with with any issue before it becomes a problem. Like that, that's a, that's a big thing. Like, because I think that having that open communication and being somebody that, that I feel like our players can come talk to or know that they have assistance, they can come talk to at any time. Like I, it, it's so much harder to deal with things when they become problems as opposed to be able to take them on early. And that's something I think as a coach that I've really tried to like seek out uh, getting ahead of anything before it becomes a problem. 
and I and I think our kids, you know, our players are really comfortable even in high school about coming to it, and whether it's you know something they said or whether uh, something they didn't understand or an assistant coach or a teammate or whatever it may be. Like we we want to know, like we want to know how we can help them because, like for me, I have a genuine investment in wanting to like my number one goal as a coach is to make it a great experience for our players. Like, and I, and if I feel like I'm centered on their experience, then they're going to want to, they're going to love the game. They're going to want to work on their game. They're going to want to do great for our staff. Um, I, I think number two, we, we say no drama, like, like, you know, come talk to me with any issue before it's a problem and, and no drama. And our, our kids have really bought into the fact that, like we don't have time for drama. Like it, it, when you're having to, and it, you know, I think that that's included like in dealing with boys or girls, like it, again, I, I think all teams have it or, you know, there, there's the room for it. And, and I think that our kids have really bought into the fact that, um, you know, if we're having to deal with our own drama, then we're, we're just taking ourselves off course from where we're really trying to get to. Um, you know, our, our non-negotiables, I think, have been very clear. And, and that is, you know, the effort that that's the effort that we expect our players to play with. And I think we do a great job of like teaching what effort really is. And, and you know, once we get down our certain system of how we play, like we are spending so much time as a coaching staff on effort off the ball and, and being in your stance and anticipating and reading. And that that's like a constant for us. Um so effort's a big non-negotiable communication on and off the court. You know, we want our players to communicate in a positive way with each other, build each other up at all times. Um, you know, we uh, focus is a big one. And for us, it's we talk a lot about like knowing our scouts or knowing our plays. Um, and then the fourth and fifth non-negotiables are being a great teammate and being coachable. Like, and those last two are ones that I don't, like I'm pretty like clear and really, I, I feel like we hold our players accountable. Like if, if, if our players aren't being good to each other, like they're going to, we're going to have a meeting about, it. we're going to talk about, it. we're going to get it fixed. And if they're, you know, if we see a player rolling their eyes or, or, uh, or, you know, not listening to what we're trying to convey, like we're going to talk to them about it. And, and we're really like positive about it too. But, you know, we also are very clear that these are things that are non-negotiables for us and, and I think how we listen to our players too, like we want to have the same, like I want our players to be able to come at us and talk to us about things too. And we need to have great attitudes about that as well. So I, I think all those things have really helped our culture. Um, you know, we talk a lot about sharing each other's successes and failures. And when one player makes a play, it's the whole team. It's not, you know, and I think our, our kids have really bought into the fact that the star of the team is the team, you know, concept. And, um, so, you know, all those things I, I think have been really helpful. Yeah, and I was going to um, – I always ask every coach, like, what, what's your top five program strengths? You pretty much have said it, and I love how you broke, uh, you, you broke it down, the non-negotiables. Give me an example, though. Uh, <clears throat> I, I tell you what we do a little bit at the high school level is, uh, like this year, uh, late in the season, um, and at the beginning of the season, I have my players all write down – what a great teammate looks like to them. And we, we spend the whole practice on that. Um, Cause I feel that's important yeah. for the kids to take ownership and know what it is. And it's amazing what our girls put together on that. And we spent the whole practice and the rest of the season 
we kept going back to that. Tell me what you think of that, because I love that they, they got to know what a great teammate is. Yeah, you know, I, again, there's there's so much to that, and I, and I think that's something that, that you know, it's, it's awesome to hear coaches that are taking time to spend on that. And, and we try to, you know, we, we might not take a full practice, but we take parts of every week and bring, you know, have a, maybe it's just before, you know, the beginning of a practice, or maybe it's the end. Uh, maybe it's, you know, we, we, you know, we like to praise our players on being great teammates and when they are and when acknowledge, you know, so um, when they're doing, you know, great teammate type thing. So, you know, I think the cool thing about being at one of our practices is just watching how our how our team interacts with one another, um, how they really help coach each other. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean senior to freshman that like our we want equal investment. And, and it's, you know, awesome to see our freshmen sometimes helping our seniors on things and, and talking through things and just the respect that that I think that our players have for one another. Um, you know, I think has been a really big part of that. Um, so, I mean, it's it, it just, there, there's so many things that I think that are involved in that, um, that it's, it's almost like an endless type thing, but, um, you know, I just think the positivity, how they communicate, how they're lifting each other out, how they're supporting each other on and off the court. I think how, how they invest in each other, like, I look back at some of the best leaders that I played with or that were leaders on teams that I've coached and, and they were almost always like completely invested to everyone on the team. Like it didn't matter if you, if you were the star of the team or the player that maybe was, you know, the, the, you know, somebody that didn't play a lot, you know, somebody that was just on the team and helping every day in practice. And, and our leaders, our great ones, have been invested to everyone equally and, and everyone understanding that they're an equal part of, of our success. And I think those type of things have really gone a long ways. Yeah, the word I keep hearing from you is investment. You guys really believe in that, don't you? And how do you get your team to invest into each other? Because I know that's not an easy task, and particularly going up to the Division One level, because you're dealing with little bit more high caliber type athletes, aren't you? Yeah. You know, in, in, in some ways, I think, you know, the biggest difference a lot of, a lot of times, you know, from is sometimes just maybe the height and physicality, right. That, that the game is played with and, but the people are the same. Right. And, and so uh, to me, I, I don't feel like we've had to make changes to being a, you know, a high school coach or a small college coach or, or being a, a division one coach. Like, I think people want to be treated with respect and they, they want to know that they're, you know, important to what the team is, you know, accomplishing or not. Um, and I, I just think the way that our, our expectations of communication and, and also I think that our players so feel so freely about coming to talk to us as well. And, and, and what we demonstrate in that regard as well, not only with our players and, but also with, our, each other as a coaching staff like we get along awesome we have a great time I think our our players know that you know one of the things that we talk a lot about is is how important it is for us that they're loving their experience and and I want to know like if there's anything ever that's getting in the way of their experience I want to know like um and you know that doesn't mean that every day is going to be you know fun and games right like there's there's times that it's hard and there's times that they're being pushed out of their comfort zone. And, and there's times that 
you know, it's not always fun being held accountable for things. Right. So, so there's times, but, but they also know that everything's done with like, you know, care and, 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 you know, and, and trying to serve them as players, you know, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of John Gordon stuff. And, um, you know, I think he's got some great leadership things in there. And so I, I don't know. I think when you have an environment like that, that, that the players know how much you care about them and that you're completely invested in their experience. I think, I think that in itself just creates a different type of environment. And um, that to me is one of the, like, I think it's been one of the biggest things for our successes is, or, and when I say successes, we never, we never like talk about wins and losses. It's, it's more about trying to be the best version of ourselves. And I think we've done a really good job of that because we care so much about, you know, our players experience and, and also, teaching them that they're a big part of the experience that they can create for one another. Like there's not a lot of things that we can control, but one of the things that we can control as a group is the experience we have, you know, and uh, I, I like to look back at every season, whether we won or lost and be able to look back and go, you know what, that was fun. Like we just had a great season. And, and, and I, I think when you have that kind of, you know, you build that kind of a situation for players, they love to be a part of it and great things are going to happen. That's a great point, Mike, because I, I really feel you mentioned a couple other things, too. I love the word freedom, um, because I think if you you got to take pressure off yourself as coaches and players, man, because the more pressure you put on yourself, it's it's tough to win. Right. So yeah. um, I love how you focus on things that are pretty much in your control, control the controllables. And I think that's a key to your success. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all hear it, and and I do think that's something that, you know, whether it's within our staff or whether it's the players. I mean, one one of the things that I, I had a, a fantastic mentor in Mark Neffendorf, and and uh, he was again one of the all time best coaches, if not, you know, him and him and Brad Smith, I would say, are one two in in either order. I mean, they both were just phenomenal, and. And Mark was just an amazing detail person. And, and one of the reasons I moved to Southridge was because he just, he just came off a state championship uh, and he moved over there as a vice principal at the school. So I had an opportunity to, to work with him and, you know, it was a brand new school. So the first year was a little rough and the next year was a little better. And, and I, I remember like coming into his office, you know, and, and he would come to our games and he'd give me advice and he would help you know, walk me through things that would help make me better. And it, it was just his attention to detail was so phenomenal. And I, I remember going in there and, you know, maybe complaining about this player, compl- this player's not doing this and this player's not doing that. And finally, I think he just got tired of it. And he just said, you know, Mike, <laughs> he just right. said, you, you, you know, aren't you the one that gets to decide who plays? And I go, yeah. And he's like, well, then quit complaining about your players because, you know, if they're not doing what you asked, then, then you're the one that's deciding who gets out there or not. And, you know, of course, at the time, it kind of ticked me off, right? Like, um, kind of walked out of there. And then as I really reflected on that, I really thought, like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take more control over, my like, my own success and failures as a coach and not put it on the players. Like, it, it's if they're not doing things, then I need to find a way to connect with them better. I need to find a way to do a better job of holding them accountable. And I really think that was a great moment for me because I, 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 I started like not putting on them. Like I put way more on myself to make sure that we're doing things the right way. And, and I, I think that's really helped my rapport with our players as well. 
I love that. I mean, because you, you just you held yourself accountable. And I, I, I do feel like a lot of coaches have struggled with that. So if their team loses or not playing well, you know, they kind of put it, put it on the players. But usually if my team's not playing well, man, it's my fault. I, I got to teach them better. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, I, I think, again, it's just what you can control as a coach, right? Like it's just looking at yourself and going, okay, this, this is our team. This is us together. And we're all in this together. I tell my players that all the time, like that we're all in this together. Like, and, and to me, I, I think it, it helps our players so much to know that. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. That we don't point fingers at them. I mean, there's things that we, of course, have to hold them accountable for. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, we're going to keep self-reflecting and figuring out different ways that we can get better as a group together. And like you said, I mean, just, just being great at what you can control. And I think that in itself takes a lot of pressure off players when they're not focused on anything else, but what they can try to, you know, control and be great at. Yeah. And I think that's the great coaches like yourself. You guys are masters of that. Um, Hey, I want to talk about defense. Uh, I got to admit, I I've had your full court press skills and drills video DVD forever, Mike. I feel like you're one of my brothers, man. I love that. I love that. I, I still use your drills there because I'm a pressing coach, and I feel like it's really sound teaching. I want you to start with how you teach defense. and you, you, I'm sure you teach defense differently at the college level because it's a different game, but talk about your defensive beliefs and philosophies. Yeah, you know, that's I, – I, I really appreciate that, you know, and in, 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 in that question as well. Like, you know, it, it's funny when, when you know, I was at – as a high school coach, I was definitely like, um, you know, really wanted to be pr a pressure, a full-court team. Uh, we had a few teams that we had to be a little bit more selective on it because we didn't have maybe as great a depth as we did in some other years. Um, but I love the fact in high school that we could, we could play more kids. Um, I love the fact that, you know, you don't, you don't always necessarily have like 10 kids that play year round basketball. So we, you know, we did a really good job, I think in high school of really trying to, you know, take athletes. And I think we could, we could put them in positions that they could be successful, especially defensively. Um, and so one of the things that I've, that may be a little bit different in our system is that we've all, we've never really used like a small forward. We've always kind of had our threes as like our primary on the ball defenders. Like it more, we look at it more from a defensive standpoint than an offensive standpoint. Um, and we've really, you know, so when I, we came to Fox, we, we became more and more aggressive with our pressure. Uh, and then when I came to Portland this first year, I, I think, you know, I kind of heard through the years, you can't press at the division one level and, you know, it's going to be tough to do. And, um, you know, at first, you know, when I early on got the job, I thought, well, we'll, we'll slow it down and we'll, you know, 
you know, we knew we probably weren't going to be picked super high in our league and we'll try to slow the game down. And we ended up just staying with what we were comfortable doing. And, and we put in our press early on and we pressed all season long. Like we were um, probably the most aggressive full court pressure team in our league. Um, and I think that it, because it was so unique and so different, even in non-league that it really has given us an advantage. Um so, yeah, I mean, that's something that I, I, I do think the great teams are, are, are and the great players are the most aggressive ones, not both offensively and defensively. So we really have tried to keep that philosophy. Um, and, you know, we varied our presses. We've, we've used the Wahlberg press some. We've used our traditional 2-2-1 two, two, trap from the sideline. Um, but our foundation is almost always off our man-to-man. Um, so we, we have, you know, we have numerous man-to-man presses where we'll, we'll run and jump. We have just straight man. We'll have where we trap right away for, you know, different things. Uh, we'll have maybe presses where we'll, when certain players have the ball, we just deny everywhere and just try to get turns on them. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think even it for, you know, high, Oregon high school doesn't have a shot clock. So, you know, I think right. moving, moving to the college level, I think it helped us that much more because it, you know, usually when teams got to the other end, they only had, you know, 20 to 15 seconds to, to run something. So, um, in what kind of, what kind of detail would like, would you like me to cover defensively any more along those lines or. Well, I, I want you to kind of, um, I, I love how you go, your multiple pressing team. I'm at the high school level. We try to be good at one thing. So we, mm-hmm. we're really kind of a zone matchup. I'm a, I, I, we do a lot of zoning at my level because the athletes we play against are just so much more athletic, but I still like to be aggressive and I can put my right players in the right spots. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We try to be great at one defense. Uh, now, um, when we try to go multiple, we seem to be average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, I try to change up too much. So I'm becoming more and more of a be, be great at one defense more than anything else. But I love pressure, particularly at the high school level. Talk to me about how you build that up um, yeah. from one-on-one because that tape I still have, Mike. I love how you build up from the ground, man. I think that's important. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I uh, – uh... You know, I, I do think that there's, you know, progressions of how you teach things. And, and you know, I, I think the clarity in which your players understand it is so important, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things that you said that I think is really important, I think, you know, as a, as a younger coach, you know, I spent so much time invested in, you know, learning the game and, and, and learning new things. And, and you know, I, I, and I still do that. But I think the difference – and I think you kind of alluded to this, but I think the difference is I've done this longer is I've, I've become clearer about who I want to be as a coach. And so now a lot of my learning just becomes more about how I can improve teaching that, you know, like, yeah. um, and, and so, uh, w- you know, as far as presses goes, like, you know, we, we, we definitely run multiple presses, but we also just a lot, like you said, like, uh, some teams we've we've been more zoned because it allows us to kind of put players and you know maybe we we have a, a few kids that are really fast and athletic so we want to put them up front and then kids that are more like readers and anticipators we can you know can put them in the second line and um, you know we've done more man maybe when we have like uh, kind of athletic across the board maybe um, 
So, you know, for us, regardless of the press, I, I think there are things that um, like are kind of staples of what we teach. And so we almost always start with like, um, you know, how to match up like, and so we have different matchup rules based on the, the press that we're running, but um, we, you know, we, we teach like in a way that is, you know, we make the, we make it very clear for me again, our, our three is our normal on the ball defender. The one that's going to really try to get after other teams point guards. We prefer like to have the four on the ball, especially our fours, which is, tend to be a little bit more like good runners and athletic and can really run the court down well. Um, and then, then we just kind of build off of that. Usually our two is on the right side or one's on the left side. Our five is always match up with the deepest four or five for the other team. Um, and we kind of organize our defense off of how we transition out of offense. Um, and then we'll do drills where, where, you know, we'll maybe we'll circle everyone offense and defense up in the key and just have them all kind of run in a circle. We'll throw the ball to either team and they'll sprint out of bounds and, and we'll tell our players to go just random in how they get to a press break. And we just randomly have to match up. Like to me, the start of our press is, is, is you know, just like half court, like how fast you can transition into things. Cause if we can't set our defense, we're going to have a lot less, you know, we're going to have a harder time with success than if we're sure. set up, right. So uh, matching up is a big one. You know, we'll obviously go from there into like specific press breaks and what teams are, you know, but a lot of press breaks become very universal and, and it may be people that cut into the middle, middle differently, but um, you know, a lot of them you'll see, you know, um, somebody sideline, somebody middle, somebody behind the ball, and, and however they get into that may vary. And we'll, you know, we'll work on that. Um, we'll move into our ball pressure, and we spend tons of time on ball pressure um, and really just getting right up into people. And, and one of the things with our ball pressure that, we, that we've probably done more over the last few years is just working on getting to the turns. And, and we can even walk through this, but uh, if you don't walk through it over and over, like – the, like really learning how like we're going to dictate that the ball is going to get turned going the other way. Like, right. um, you know, and working on maybe um, the hesitation move that so many kids use, like it's so hard if you don't work on that for the, the players not to, you know, get to the turn on the hesitation. Right. Um, or little things like if, if like on the matchup, if, if the, the player catches it and you're already right up into them, they'll just will right off you. So we give a little bit more ground until they turn and face, and then we'll, we'll cinch into them a little bit more. Like we really want to protect against bad beats. Um, that's, that's kind of a big thing for us. So, you know, it starts with matching up. It, it gets into ball pressure. We're really big on taking away down court passes. Um, so working on the intensity that that takes off the ball and, and the focus and the awareness uh, that, you know, that it's just so easy to rest off the ball. And in, unless you're holding your players accountable for that all the time. Sure. Um, you know, uh, another, you know, a couple other big ones is recovery. And so we'll do drills where, you know, I'll take the ball and maybe just throw it down court and we're working on, and we, you know, we call it uh, Dick DiVenzio stuff, the racetrack. And we're really big on, sprinting the racetrack like uh we either want to load up our defense in the half court or we want to try to dig from behind or or trap down you know vertical traps are are awesome for us right so um and then and then i think they 
the other really big one is learning how to do those things without fouling. Like, and, and so we spend so much time on, on playing without fouling. And I think as our rules have changed, you know, a lot of teams got away from pressing and, and, and because it's so worried about the, the on the ball rules and protecting the dribbler. And so, you know, for us, like we talk a lot to our players, like a bad foul to us is any foul on the ball. Like, we don't, we don't want to get fouls on the ball. Like we don't want to reach in. We don't want to break the glass. We want to work for deflections, but, but really no reaches. We don't want to try to block shots. We want to try to be vertical. Um, and good fouls are, are for us are like physicality fouls off the ball, like how aggressive we are in rotation and going for steals and 50-50 balls or how physical we are with blocking out and rebounding and, uh, you know, taking on cutters is something that, you know, we've had to kind of change how we do that, but we, we really want to play physical off the ball. And if we get some fouls, we'll live with those off the ball. And we, we our play. that's a good foul. Like, but, but on the ball, we really want to protect from that because I, I, I think the, 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 the person with the ball is so protected nowadays that we've kind right. of really guard against that. So. Yeah. I love the detail there, Mike. And I, um, what do you find at the college level? Because I, 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 I don't know how I've been brought up this way through different coaches that I've spoken with, but, uh, and I've worked with, they say you cannot be good at full court defense and on the half court. I just don't agree with that. I think you're, I think it's all one package. How do you look at that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, you know, for us, I mean, we, 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 we say a lot, like, you know, I, I think one of the things is, is that we've really like taught our kids really like, why we press too. And, and so I think they can, you know, like we've taught them so well, I feel like, and they, they are so engaged to wanting to know that like there's so much of it is the why right now. And, and players understanding that, you know, it's, it's, it's for us, pressing is just one more thing that we think teams have to deal with. It's not necessarily the thing that we hang our hat on. It's, it's, it's one more thing. And, and for us, like, I, I, I am a big believer that, that, championships are one in the half court like so so you know the the press is one thing but then getting back to the half court like you still have to be great there too and I I think maybe the challenge sometimes is is being able to have the energy to to be able to full court press and then get back and still be great in the half court and that that's probably our biggest challenge Uh, but I also think is our players get used to that tempo it's one more thing that that other teams have to get used to is just having to deal with that tempo that's maybe unique or different than they're used to playing at. Right. So. Yeah. Mike, do you find that, that um, again, I, I'm, you know, I, I've watched so many college games. Are you looking that like, it seems to me by the time they get across half court, man, they're rushing to get a shot off. Does that help you? Yeah, you know, it depends on the team, you know, and, and it depends maybe a little bit on how they play. But a, a, a lot of times it in, in itself, like when you talk about why press, well, you know, you can you can play more players, you can use your depth more. Um, but also, I think a lot of it is is the shot selection that teams may get into or um, or or simply just maybe shots that are outside of their normal rhythm of shots, right? Or you know their normal offense, and so that in itself, I think, is is a really big thing. Is just uh, that the tempo, the shot selection, um, 
you know, we're, we're still huge on just like anyone else. Like we, 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 even though we press, like we don't want to give up lanes. We don't want to give up threes. Like um, I think we were top 10 in the nation uh, this year in three point field goal percentage defense, you know? Um, And so for a team that presses, you might think, well, man, they're, you know, you're going to be giving up things that you normally, you know, wouldn't. And I, you know, we're, I think very similar in what, a lot of other people want to take away. It's just, it's just, you know, we have to work hard at it and we have to work really hard to still be able to take away lanes and threes. And, but I honestly feel like it's possible, you know? Yeah. And I, I, um, of course I'm close to Athens out here in Georgia and I watch all the SEC games. I see very few, I don't think I saw any that pressed. Why isn't pressing at the higher D one level? Why, why don't you see that more? Is this people are just, not willing to take a risk? Well, I, I think that, you know, I think for everyone, I mean, even for me at times, I mean, I think that's something that, and it, and it takes some time to identify how you can eliminate certain things that maybe you're giving up early on. Right. Um, and I, and I think the more you work on it and the more you find ways to, you know, take away lanes or, or, you know, we we spend a ton of time on defending two on one situations, you know, and making that, right you know, difficult as possible. And uh, I, I don't think there's any question. The reason most people don't press is because I think a lot of people feel like you're really vulnerable to giving up lanes or giving up uncontested threes in transition. And, and, you know, I think coaches don't want to do that. And, um, and unless they've coached it a lot and, and have worked through those things, I think it's one of those things that, you know, you are putting yourself out there and, and, you know, until you can figure out how to get better at it. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think your best coaches, and that's why I love what you're doing because I think some of your best coaches are pressure defensive coaches on that, but that's my own belief. I don't, I really don't know anything, <laughs> but um, Hey coach, talk about your offense. Um, do you believe offense is based on efficiency more than anything else? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, in a, you know, that's something that, again, that I'm, you know, really proud of this season is, is that I, I, I believe we ended up leading our league in, in scoring and field goal percentage. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the most overrated stats there or, you know, statistics there are is, is point scored though. Like to me, we've, we've really never looked at uh, the point score part of it is, is something that is an indicator of how well we were offensively. It's has way more to do with efficiency and points per possession and, um, in field goal percentage like that, that's a really big thing for us is that we, we really want to try to take great shots on every possession and shots that we work on and uh, shots that our players are comfortable with. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, I think we're on the, on the same, you know, to me, I think that's the, the efficiency is, is really to me where it's at offensively and defensively. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. And at the high school levels, you will know, um, I believe in the points per possession. I we were actually a point eight eight this year, which actually for a girls team is actually pretty good. Our uh-huh. our goal our goal is to get up to one, which I'm not sure if we can get there. But um, we have a tendency to turn the ball over. Tell me, coach me up. How can we be more efficient? How can we take care of the ball more? What do you recommend as a coach? Give us give me some ideas. Oh, that that's. You know, it's funny you say that because I would say, you know, that was something for us that, you know, we we need to continue to improve on as well. And uh, something that I, I felt like um, definitely got better as the season went on. 
but but I would also tell you, I think that is another stat that can be a little bit misleading at times because we're pretty particular about our ball movement and working for a good shot. And, um, uh, you know, of course we want to do it and try to lower our possessions as much as possible, but we also run a lot of mini games. Like, you know, we have a couple of real core offenses, uh, dribble drive, you know, uh, has been a big one for us. And, and we do a lot of triangle stuff and we really try to utilize our post players, uh, probably, well, that's it, just been a big thing. Again, Mark Neffendorf was just a huge post coaching guru and just learned so much about that, uh, that position. And so we do a ton of like um, anticipating our passes or reading the pass before we catch, uh, really looking in and trying to make like what we call click, click passes where we're trying to really see the pass before we catch. Um, and so I, I, I think my point is as much as anything is that you, you know, I, I think teams that play that way and really are working for good shots are going to be a little bit higher in, in turnovers. I, I think the Warriors are a good example of that. I, I believe they were, you know, a little higher than most teams in that, but obviously had incredible efficiency offensively uh, with how they play. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I think there's all kinds of things you can do. Um, I, I think for us, like, we spend a ton of time on like wing entries and high post entries and the timing of those type of things. And, and being like seeing passes ahead of time and, and reading the help side defense and using ball fakes to maybe eliminate the um, you know, the help side. Um, and, and so within our triangle concepts, I think it, it's helped us a, a, a lot on, on reading. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. Passes before the catch. Um, and, and those are things that I think have helped uh, improve our, you know, our turnovers and maybe lower them. Uh, I'm also a humongous believer in ball handling. Like to me, if, if you look at some of the best players in the world, like, like, even for their position, a lot of them were, are just like unique with the ball, like, like Kevin Durant's ability to just handle the ball is like, you know, unbelievable for a seven footer. Right. And so like that to me is something, it doesn't matter the position you play. Like we want, we, we teach a lot of positionless basketball. So like we have all of our players like working on ball handling on a daily basis. Um, we have all of our players working on uh, post moves and, and, finishing around the rim in the post. And we actually posted up our point guard a lot, our wings a lot this season. Um, and, and so to me, I think when you're talking about reducing turnovers, I think learning how to pass with each hand equally, learning how to handle the ball, learning how to be comfortable with it, learning how to like read passes before you catch. Like, I think those are all things that ultimately help you take care of the ball. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I think if I had to evaluate probably our turnovers, which I, which I have done. Um, a lot of times it's just decision-making. Um, so 
it's the ability, like you said, basically that's part of reading, the ability to read when the cut's coming, all that, right? And that's something that you just have to continually drill on. Of course, we had a young team this year. I could be part of that too. So, Um, But uh, we also score a lot of points. So we're really aggressive, Coach. So I think, is there such things as good turnovers? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, um, I, I definitely think there are turnovers that can happen that aren't necessarily bad. Right. Like, right. And, and that's the way I would probably look at it more is, as far as like, you know, like for instance, players are actually making the right read, but don't necessarily execute the the play, you know, like, and so there's, there's times where we'll tell her, Hey, that that's a great read like that. That's exactly, you know, and, and, and then they, they, you know, they become, I think, more and more efficient on what that pass look like, looks like and, and how to execute it. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily know if any turnovers, you know, a, a good one, but at the same time, I, I think there are some that like almost in a way you need to encourage your players that, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the right thing. Like you're, you're doing the right thing and, and, and you're doing, you know, you're, you're going to become better in the long run because of it. Yeah, that's a great point on that. I always love when my players sprint through the corners and uh, maybe the, the point guard makes a uh, kind of, you know, a tough pass over the head pass. I always praise that because I think the 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 execution wasn't great, um, but I think the, the concept, the idea, they're all in the right spot. So I always try to find some positive out of working with high school kids. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I know it's tough. Hey, tell me about your practice philosophy. Give me some of your best drills that you do. Um, and I love, I love the drills you have in your videos, but kind of share with us some of the best drills that you use to, in your practices. Yeah. You know, I, I think for us, it's, it's, it's really more like about probably teaching and, 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 and trying to, you know, help our players grow as like in decision-making. So uh, I don't, you know, I, as I, think about that question I, I wouldn't necessarily think of you know anything specifically um but one of the things like we we definitely like to like layer our skill work and and I know I know a lot of people like are big believers in going live a lot and and I definitely think you have to do that because ultimately that's you know you you have to get up to game speed but you know is is we've kind of done this more and more we've really tried to limit you know, contact all the time because of injuries and trying to keep our kids healthy through the season. So for instance, like we may work on a finishing move and, you know, the first, you know, the early on, it may be just one on O and then, and then we may layer a a defender on and and say, okay, you're going to, you're going to just run alongside of them and they're going to have to finish alongside. And, and, and now, now you're going to, now, now you're going to cut off the the ball handler and they're going to have to change their finish. And then, you know, we'll kind of we'll kind of layer it where we're going to pr- progress into the live part of it, um, and 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 we'll do a lot of that layering. You know, parts of that like like jump hooks. Like we we may just work on jump hooks over and over with just the defender there, but not necessarily always going live. Um, and again, a lot of that for us is just the the grind of trying to do too much contact work. Um, so what, you know, one of my favorite drills is a drill that we just call King drill. It's a defensive drill. Um, and like we, we, uh, we stop a lot in practice, uh, probably a lot more than I think people would be surprised, um, you know, how much we stop and, and correct and help. And uh, I, I'm a 
kind of I, I love the talent code, the, the, that book. I think there's a lot of great things. But what we want to try to do as a, as a staff is, is start, you know, teaching decision making and teaching what the right read should be. And eventually it's, it's so cool to see because you start seeing the players grow and then under, start seeing their own mistakes. Um, and when they start seeing their own mistakes, man, you, you're, you, you know, that you're going to, they're going to really take off as players. And, you know, a lot of times early on, it, it can be a little frustrating to them, and, but then they start, you know, they start recognizing what's going on and, and, and then they can start even coming to me and I don't even have to say anything. They, they just almost like, coach, I know what I did, you know? And, uh, and then I'm like, this is perfect. Right. Cause that, sure. once, once they can start self-correcting. So like the King drill would be a defensive drill in which we like, it's, I mean, it could be four on four. It could be five on five. And once we started to build some concepts in, uh, we might have like, let's say four on four on four and, and everyone's kind of on the outside ready to jump in as fast as they can. And, uh, and, and, and so they're playing four on four and then, you know, okay, your you know, you, your hands aren't high. So that group's off. Like sure. you're not yeah. pressing the ball enough. You're not, you didn't jump with the pass. Like, and so in, in the next group just flies on and, you know, it can be a transition drill as well. Um, you know, we usually just start with a few concepts and then, and we tell the players usually what those concepts are. And then by the end of the year, we can move into, okay, we're going to start everything with a ball screen and then we're going live. And essentially the only way you can score is if you have a perfect defensive possession. Um, and uh, it's hard, you know, it's, it's challenging. And, and I think our, Players love the competitiveness of that. They like they like the fact that uh, it is hard. But I think as you'll see as the season goes on, and it's just to me, it's all about helping the players be accountable, right? And uh, I think it's a it's a great drill. It's an easy drill, but you can you can really hold the players accountable, and and uh, and and I think it transfers into the game like situation really well. Coach, do you do you find it? This is my this is my difficulty, and I just wanted to share with you. Yeah. How do you how do you get, have enough skill development and what you said, that's more like a, a mini game, small sided game. Yep. How do you devise that for a coach? Cause I think we're all trying to battle how much skill de- development we do within a practice and how much game preparation, how much competitive scrimmaging every coach has that. Sorry, coach. I think I, yeah, uh, let me just read that. I'm sorry, Mike. Um, how much okay. um, in, a, in a given practice, I think there's a lot of coaches that do a lot of skill, of skill development throughout their practice, which is great. But like you were saying with your king drill, that's a great small-sided. I think you learn just as much in a game-type small-sided game. Then you, can you teach more in a small-sided game than you can in – individual instruction on skill development. I mean, when, how's the progression work out? Yeah. You know, I, I think you, you, you ultimately have to right. get into live play, you know, because, it, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't think there's any way around that and uh, you know, how much you, you limit that or not, I think probably varies for each coach. Uh, and, and, and also for us, it, it probably varies a little bit for each practice. Um but generally speaking, we, we will spend about an hour on skill work a day. Um, and that, you know, that could include our, our, our ball handling. Uh, and, and within that, it, it, it could be one on O and it probably is going to include some live stuff. Um, 
and maybe it's just dribble moves, you know, one-on-one, you know? Um, so, you know, we definitely will, will, whether it's in the post or whether it's from the elbows or whether it's from the top of the key, like we'll want to, and to me, even though it is a little bit more live, it's still like, a, a, it's still skill developing. Right. And, um, and we're teaching the kids, you know, how to, how to make reads or, you know, maybe in times, uh, you know, they cut you off here. This is the move you should have went to. And, uh, you know, th- then for us, we usually build into like, um, you know, some type of like transition type, you know, how to attack two on ones, three on two, four on threes. Like we spend a lot of time on reading different transitional, you know, numerical advantages. Um, and then, and then we'll spend probably about an hour on team stuff. And that could be, it could still be defensive breakdowns. It, it could be like we talked about the King drill. Um, it could be just full on scrimmaging, you know, um, we probably scrimmage less than most, um, but we do do a lot of like half court work. And, and we, another thing, another drill that I love is, is one that we call perfect play. And like, it, it's kind of like King drill where like, if there's any, if, if there's any, uh, like if, if the timing's not perfect, if there's the pass is not to the, you know, the hand away from the defender, whatever it will be, we'll stop it. And the other team gets the ball and we're trying to execute through plays like sure. as perfect as possible. Um, and that, and that, that to me, like we do a lot, I think a lot of things like that. Um, and, and I can say this in, in all honesty, I think our kids love coming to practice. Cause I, cause I feel like they, they know that when they come and this is a big thing, this is maybe one of the most to me misunderstood things about culture is that players want to come to practice every day, knowing they're improving as an individual and as a team. And, and to me, like we really try to structure things that, new things, new teaching, new concepts, whatever it be like something new in both of those areas every day. So that way our, uh, you know, it can't be the whole practice, everything new. Right. But like, to me, I, I want our, our players to feel like they're walking away going, you know what? I got better today. You know, our team got better today. And, and that to me is one of the, the biggest strengths of culture is it, it is some, you know, it is something about basketball in that regard, because I, I think, cultures go away positive culture in that area if if players are walking away not feeling like they oh play. for sure there's no doubt about that and um and that takes a lot of work and preparation for coaches because every player is going to be different right mike i mean you're not every player is going to be the same yeah yeah for, for sure i mean there's there's you know there one of the things that we try to do is you know create uh we have a Google doc as a staff that we have lists for every player of things that they could work on. Um, and I think communication with that is really important as well. So, you know, some of those things are things that we may just go up to a player and say, Hey, I want you working on this today or, you know, and, and it doesn't matter your role. Like we, we've, I've always tried to really include all of our players in the same amount of skill work. And um, you know, we, we really tried to, create a culture in which everyone on our team is getting an opportunity. Right. And, and, and just on that same line, do you try to coach your team to your best player or do you try to build it from the ground up? Um, I think it's always interesting how coaches do that. Um, You want your, your kind of your lesser skilled players to come up, right? Yeah. I mean, I've always been a big believer in that. You, to me, you coach, you coach skill wise to your top players and let the right. other ones rise up to that. Um, 
And, and I, and I, you know, I think you can go over something and, and give different instruction on the same skill though, because of, of where a player may be in that skill. Um, but I do think it's, you know, it's, it's part of the, the growth process that, you know, if you're coaching to the less skilled players or the, the medium, I, I, I think you're, you're, you know, it's going to make it hard on your top players, you know, your ones that are most skilled. And uh, I would rather see, those other players rise up, which is what I feel like I've seen more. And, 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 and because they're all getting coached, it's like there's right. no discouragement, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Coach, man, I appreciate you taking this hour time, man. It's great. And I want to, I want to finish off with, first of all, um, I don't have all five of your videos. Uh, I want you to give me some information on how I can, can get access to all of your videos because I know you have a really good shooting and is it shooting and skill development video or perimeter skills? Uh, talk about your videos and how we can get access to them. Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate you mentioning them. I actually have no <laughs> idea. So I, uh, I put those together years ago when I was a high school coach to help my youth coaches uh, and, and give them more guidance on things I wanted them to cover. Uh, and then, then we did like put them out at one point and they did and, and, and I, uh, which I was fine with. I mean, I don't have, and I, and I've always, you know, one thing I had, but honestly, I have no idea. You can hold the one now. Uh, yeah, and I'll look it up and I think I have the, uh, the company that actually did them and so forth. Um, but I, I gotta tell you, man, I, I've been, I've seen a lot of videos over the years um, you do a great job on them, which I think is perfect how you're explaining in detail because you want your coaches to coach in detail. To me, that's the perfect, that's a yeah, tape I want. Yeah. I and mean, that's something I, I feel like, again, learning from people and just and, and the clarity in which I think we can help give our players, I think is a, is a huge, you know, positive to them. And, you know, I've, I've tried to look at it that way is how, how can we take out as much gray as possible and, be as clear as possible. And then I think that just helps with expectations and accountability. And um, so I, I appreciate you saying those nice things. And um, it's really, really been fun having a chance to talk. And um, if there's anything I can ever do, just let me know. Yeah, that'd be great coach. I sure appreciate it. And I actually have a um, couple things I want you to evaluate. I'll probably talk to you later about that. Just kind of, take a look and kind of give me your keen eye on a certain things like my press. And I actually have a couple kids that uh, I love to have you take a look at just to kind of give me some feedback on them. Yeah, Would you mind yeah, doing as that? Long, as long, I'll do anything I'm allowed to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Coach, thank you so much for joining. How can, how can um, coaches get a hold? What's the best way to get a hold you know, of uh, my best way is definitely just the, my email. Uh, it's meek M E E K M at up.edu um and i i definitely you know i i, I love helping out i i think um you know if people want to email me and then we you know call or whatever that that i'd be more than happy to help out any way i can all right so you're probably going to be getting some emails and so forth of course you now you might have a little bit extra time right now i don't know i'm sure you're out trying to recruit i'm sure um Coach, thank you so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. I got to get, I got to get the third legend, Brad yeah, Smith, yeah. on, man. So, um, 
I got I got to try to get him on. Awesome. But um, coach, thank Thanks, you again. Kevin. Good luck to you. I appreciate Good luck it. To the season and just you know anybody that hears this and yourself, just stay safe and everyone do their part. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You too, coach. Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you, it. Take care. All right. All right. Bye now. Hey coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division One, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. If you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision podcast.